Today on Sentenced, our story begins with a 911 call. There had been a brutal attack in Hillsborough County, just outside of Tampa in Florida. The man who was responsible, he was known as the Mad Chopper, and he should have been in prison. But the justice system failed. Today's episode of Sentenced contains gruesome details of violence and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Sentenced. I'm Kara. And I'm Caitlin. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm good. I like how I say hi, how are you after we've been talking before we hit record. And just... I was just going to say we spent like a, an hour venting before this. So. I know. Because <laughs> we hate our jobs. Well, I hate mine. I can't speak for you on the recording. <laughs> it's, you know, life is just hard right now. Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. I just made that up. Did you like that? That was so good. For some reason, it sounds vaguely familiar, but I just can't put my finger Mm, on it. I don't watch any movies or television, so don't know. Jenny. I definitely just made that up. (laughs) Jenny. I love that movie. So many people have, like, recently been bagging on it for some reason. And I just... I don't know. It is a really long movie, isn't it? Like three hours long. Probably. I don't know. I just love that movie. And when I was younger, I thought it was uh, based on a true story. I thought. I think I definitely did too. Yeah, I definitely thought he was a real person that existed at some point in life. Hmm. Not that Tom Hanks was him. I knew who Tom Hanks was, but I thought it was. I should hope so. Story. But I, I know what you mean. Well, it's like, when they do those black and white pictures with him and the president, I was like, those are real. (laughs) (laughs) That is a real-ass picture right there. That is the realest picture. That's really funny. Um, do you have any true crime news for today? Um, not really. I mean, we already talked about Alex Murdoch, and all the tabloids that I've been seeing at the grocery store, like, he knows more than he revealed. He hasn't revealed shit. He's hiding everything. Yeah. He's never going to tell us what he actually did unless it benefits him in some way. Right. Like him saying, like, yeah, I did lie. Sir, that doesn't help you. Not at all. Yeah, it's pretty messed up. Um, other than that, no. I, not really. I did read that there is another school shooting today um, in Arlington, Texas. So That's really sad. I don't know that there's been much published as of yet but it sounds like it happened around 7 a.m um there was one fatality and I think one other person was injured so you know that's really upsetting to hear um they the person that was responsible has been arrested and they are in custody um no details were really given because it sounds like everyone is a minor that was involved so I just wanted to mention it and also, you know, express how sorry we are for the victims and everyone involved. It was at a high school, and you're correct. One person has been killed, and another one has been injured. 
Um, it happens so early at 6.55 in the morning. Schools are open then? Well, the school opened at 7.35. I think people were just kind of getting there for the day. I don't know. I know sometimes people have like the A period um, if they're trying to take more classes. So maybe it had something to do with that or... Um, oh, he never even entered the building. Oh, really? Okay, so I guess you were able to find more than I was. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. But yeah, it looks like they are probably all minors because it seems like he's a, he, uh, he is a student. Okay. But he killed, he did kill one student and injured another, which is sad because they're high schoolers, so babies. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy but, because I think the last episode we recorded... Yep, it was about a school shooting at um, Virginia Tech. Hmm. Um, This is going to sound very morbid, but out of school shootings, at least it was only one killed. I mean, I wish it were none. Mm -hmm. Um, However, considering our last episode and um, past school shootings, you know. Exactly. It definitely could have been worse, but I'm... I almost think that it possibly wasn't um, planned like a lot of mm-hmm. school shootings are. It sounds, I think, more heat of the moment, like he was probably angry at somebody. Right. And, I don't know. You we know, obviously don't know anything yet. Not to minimize anything, but it could have been worse, I think, is what we're right. trying to say. Absolutely. And it's just, it's so frustrating because, like, uh, I don't know if we really want to go down the path of, like, gun control and stuff because I have... A different view than most probably so right and I mean but, I think too it's regardless of people's views it's if, if people want to do something they're going to find a way to do it and unfortunately there's ways to access things even if we do put restrictions on them obviously right and obviously we don't want uh, minors getting a hold of guns and a lot of times that's more so gun control in the home right and not so on a state or federal level correct um so if you do have guns in your home, make sure they are locked away, even if it's, like, in your bedside drawer for safety. Mm-hmm. Just because it's to protect you doesn't mean it's going to protect somebody else if it gets into the wrong hands. Right. So, And also just making sure that you're educating your children properly on firearms, just in the sense of when it's appropriate to use one, how to use one properly, and the magnitude of them in general. Right. Absolutely. Well, that's really, really sad. I wish that didn't happen today. Me too. Okay, so today's story is a story that uh, dates back into the 70s and then also kind of goes into the 90s. So this was a case requested by a listener. Um, so it's very exciting. Our first listener, listener request. It, it was my mom, but she's still a listener. So She's still a listener. Thank you, Kara's mom. Yeah, thanks, mom. <laughs> um, and she helped me with the research on this, too. So shout out to her. Um, um, shout out to you cheating and getting help on your assignments. <laughs> it's not cheating. Uh, a little bit, a little bit. No. But that's okay. I, I listed my sources. Your mom? Yeah. <laughs> Okay. (laughs) We're going to talk about two different victims here, and um, I think that we'll just kind of jump right into it. Like I said, Caitlin, I'm sure that you've heard about this one before. It's funny, where this takes place, it takes place in several different parts of California and even in Nevada. So as I was researching this case, it was really 
kind of daunting because I was like, oh, I've lived there. Oh, I've lived there. Oh, I've worked <laughs> there. Oh, that's just, you know, 45 minutes from where I live now. So it was a little creepy, but um, let's just get right, right into it. I've told my mom numerous times, I don't know how she survived growing up in the 70s. Oh, I know. Like, the amount of serial killers and stuff from the 70s and 80s, like, yeah. I don't I don't understand. I know, it's crazy. And in California, like, there's a lot. Yeah. So, on February 19th, 1997, at 6.07 p.m., Paul Hickson made a 911 call in Hillsborough County, Florida. Paul frantically communicated to the dispatcher that when he walked into the home of Larry Singleton... After he heard shouting, he saw Singleton straddling the body of a naked woman and savagely beating her. The dispatcher said that authorities would be there immediately. The average response time for a 911 call, according to Hillsborough County, was 9.1 minutes, which I still feel like is kind of a long time. And this is in the 70s? This, this is in 1997. 97? Yeah. We're going to Tarantino it a little bit here. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I feel like nine minutes is a really long time, but... That's, that's a lot, like, that's more than it takes me to get to work. Is it rural, or is it more suburban? Um, it sounds like it's pretty rural, but I could be wrong with that, so don't quote me on that. Well, it's still the 90s, and if it's not, like, as populated, then it's probably just not gonna be as easy to get to people, or... Yeah. Quickly. Over 30 minutes later, the first police car with one detective or deputy, sorry, arrived at the address. So I feel like if it was such an emergency, they sh- they probably should have sent two. Um, it had taken dispatch nine minutes to assign a deputy to the call and an additional 23 minutes for one to arrive at the scene. So all in all, it took like 35 minutes for them to get there. So they didn't dispatch somebody until nine minutes after yes. the call? And then another 23 minutes just for somebody to get there. Correct. Listen, I call the cops at work all the time for, like, random crap, Mm -hmm. and they're there within, like, 10, 15 minutes. So, for an emergency, that's that's a really long time. It is. I'm over here, like, I'm over here, like, nine minutes is a long time to get there, but a whole freaking 30 minutes? Yeah. That's a lot. It is a very long time, especially if it was, I mean, it's 911. You need to be able to get to places quickly. Right. When deputies knocked on the door, Singleton answered it naked, covered in blood. A majority of the sources said that he answered it naked. A couple said that he was hastily dressed, and one even said that he was just naked wearing a condom. Standing in the doorway, talking to deputies, the phone rang, and he went to answer it. This is when they noticed the lifeless body of 31-year-old Roxanne Hayes. Paul Hitson was a house painter who had previously done some work for Singleton and was hoping to do some touch-up paint on Wednesday afternoon. When he walked into this horrific scene, Roxanne was screaming. Paul and his uncle drove to a nearby Chevron station to make the call. Singleton told deputies that he injured himself while chopping vegetables in an attempt to explain the blood. So this guy is covered in blood, and he was like, yeah, I hurt myself chopping vegetables. Meanwhile, there's a lifeless body of a woman on the ground. Listen, I don't know about you, but I always make sure I'm wearing a condom when I'm nakedly chopping vegetables in my kitchen. Mm-hmm. Same. Because, you know, need protection. While he was being arrested, Larry Singleton said, the first time I was framed, this time I did it. 
I'm going to talk a little bit about him, even though I know we don't like to spend a lot of time on the perpetrator in these instances. Um, Larry Singleton was the son of a railroad worker. He was one of eight kids born to Albert Singleton and Lena Mae Richardson on July 28th, 1927. He was raised during the Great Depression, but his father always had steady work. Although he was an honor student, Singleton dropped out of high school in 1944 and became a merchant marine at 17 years old. He served as an army combat infantryman in Korea and served with the merchant marines in Vietnam. He married his first wife, Shirley, in 1959, and they had a daughter, Deborah, together. Due to his drinking and anger issues, the marriage became estranged and Shirley eventually died from cancer. Singleton would marry and divorce again, thereafter to Celia Johnson. In the fall of 1978, he was already at least four martinis deep while he was driving in the Bay Area and noticed a group of hitchhikers. Among them was Mary Vincent. Don't drink and drive, people. No. Mary Bell Vincent was born in 1963 um, I believe her birthday was May 17th. Don't quote me on this. There was not a lot of information about her, and we'll kind of get to that and as to why. Um, but I did find one thing that said that it was May 17th, but either way, it was 1963. Her father was in the military and working as a mechanic, and her mother was a blackjack dealer. Mary was one of seven children, and the family lived in Las Vegas, Nevada. Mary was an excellent dancer, and she even danced competitively. When Mary was a teenager, her parents were going through a difficult divorce. At the age of 15, Mary ran away from the family's home. It is believed that she had an older boyfriend at this time, who was actually arrested for statutory rape due to their age difference. And while she was out running away, she was actually looking for a way to bail him out. Um, her exact whereabouts are not super clear, but it sounds like she could have been staying with a family member in the Bay Area. Um, <clears throat> there was one thing that even said she was living on the streets or she would live inside locked cars. So either way, um, on September 29th, 1978, she decided that she had had enough and she wanted to go back home. It's unclear as to if she was going to her parents' home in Las Vegas or her grandfather's home in Los Angeles, but either way, she was headed south. Hitchhiking was very common in the 70s, and Mary had taken rides with two other people before she hopped in Larry Singleton's blue 1974 Ecoline van. So, um, do you know what that kind of van looks like? I feel like I know what it looks like, but... It's literally exactly what you would like a creep, like imagine a creepy person driving. Okay, so never get into vans, got it. Yeah. Um, Mary was waiting for a ride with two other hitchhikers... When Singleton pulled up, he said that he only had room for one person despite being in this, like, giant van. So Mary said she would go alone, not listening to the other two individuals who were telling her, no, stay, like, just wait with us. Let's all go wherever together. Um, Singleton agreed to give her a ride as long as she helped him load some bags from his San Pablo home in the Bay Area. So he wanted her to just, like, help lift a couple things into his car. Um, he was only 51 at the time, just FYI. Mary agreed, and the two were on their way. They stopped at his house where Mary helped him load some laundry into his van. Singleton also filled two bottles of alcohol and put them in the van with him. So um, 
what I imagine from the interview, from what it sounds like, is is that he literally filled up like two empty water bottles just with like straight alcohol. And that that's like rubbing alcohol, like pure alcohol. Okay. What it sounds like is he was drinking, allegedly drinking vodka cut with pure alcohol and water, because just the vodka oh wasn't gosh. enough. And apparently, it was common for. Men that were in the Marines during this time to drink heavily, like cut their straight alcohol with water and sometimes even other alcohol. So this guy was just way, like consuming way too much alcohol. One of the previous individuals that Mary had taken a ride from wrote down directions for her, telling her how to get south. So she had a fairly good idea of where they needed to go. After being on the road for a short time, Mary fell asleep. When she woke up, she realized that they were on the wrong freeway. They should have been heading south on Interstate 5. However, they were heading to Nevada, where Singleton had mentioned he had another home. Knowing that they were going the wrong way, Mary confronted Singleton, so he turned the car around and started to head back in the correct direction. Throughout the entire duration of the drive, Singleton was drinking heavily. Mary was starting to grow suspicious of his behavior, so she kind of started looking for a way out. Singleton stopped near Modesto, California, outside of Del Porto Canyon, so they could both relieve themselves. Mary knew that if she was going to outrun Singleton, she needed to tie her shoes. As she bent over to do so, Singleton knocked her out and dragged her into the back of his van. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And she, just a reminder, she's 15 years old. She's so young. I thought she was older than that. I didn't realize. I forgot that she was only 15. Yeah. So I know I prefaced this episode with a woman being murdered, Roxanne Hayes, and we're going to get back to her. Um, Roxanne was 31. Mary at this time is 15. Okay. So he drags her into the back of the van. He proceeded to tie her up, tear off her clothes, and he forced her to orally copulate him and he raped her. She was awake the entire time. After this, he drove further into the canyon. Singleton repeated the same horrific actions and committed an act of sodomy. This lasted throughout the entire night, and Mary recalled at one point he passed out from drinking so much, but she couldn't get away because she was tied up. So she just had to lay there, looking at her attacker, unable to move. Again, he was a Marine, so I imagine that he could probably tie pretty solid knots. Singleton forced Mary to drink some alcohol, which made her lose consciousness. When she came to, she had been dragged 50 yards away from the van. She was naked and bleeding. Singleton cut the ropes from her hands as Mary was begging him to set her free. He took a hatchet, raised it up, and said, You want to be free? I'll set you free. So, this next part. So, Mary was holding on to his forearm like extremely tight with her hand. She had a pretty good grip on it. And she could like she could feel all of her strength being directed there. But for some reason, she was falling backwards and she could not figure out why. And so she was falling, 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 but she could feel herself gripping. Larry Singleton had chopped her left arm off. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. He then proceeded to take her right arm. This time it took several attempts because she was kicking and moving her body so much. So at this point, 
She's on the ground bleeding. Both of her arms are chopped off, just like, kind of like right below the elbow. And she can see Singleton standing there and he's like, he's flicking his arm and she, he's like moving his arm back and forth and she can't figure out why until she can see that her hand is still gripped to his forearm. Oh my gosh. Yes. I've said that like three times. That is horrific. Mm -hmm. And so the reason why he was like flailing his arms is because he was trying to get her hand off of him. Yeah. Singleton pushed Mary off an embankment and shoved her into a drainage culvert. It sounds like from everything that I've read, it was like she was 30 feet into this um, <clears throat> drainage culvert. So he left her to die. The only thing that kept Mary going was the thought of Singleton doing this to someone else. She could not let that happen again. Really horrific because she remembers everything. She remembers him assaulting her. She remembers her arms being chopped off. Once she's in the culvert, she did immediately try to get up as soon as she heard the van drive away, but then she kind of just like lost consciousness again and she fell asleep, but then she woke up again and she was like, no, I've got to get out of here. So she pushed what was left of her arms into the mud to stop the bleeding and she crawled up the cliff. It's estimated that she walked about like two to three miles. Oh my gosh. Um, and she's completely naked. She's 15 years old. She's scared for her life and she's just covered in blood and dirt and mud and everything. It was pitch black outside, but she could hear traffic. Mary walked until daylight. Eventually she made it to Interstate 5. She started walking on the freeway, naked, bloody, and missing her arms. She tried to flag down the first car, but they got scared and drove away quickly. I hate that. Yeah, and it's and it it is scary because it's like because I always think I'm like what what would I do if someone was on the side of the road asking for help? And I'm glad that we live in a time when we have cell phones because I can easily just like call nine one one and be like, "This is what I saw. I'm not stopping because I'm alone, and I don't right. feel safe." But I don't know what I would have done. Well, and also, like, she's covered in mud at this point. So all people are seeing is a blood, not even, they probably can't even see the blood at this point because she's so muddy and she's naked. So they're probably thinking, oh, it's just a crazy naked person that doesn't have hands. Right. Like, like if that were me, I'd be like, oh, it's a homeless person. Like, just a crazy homeless right. person. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, this this sounds like it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. like, I would still call the cops, obviously, but back then... You don't know. Yeah. I I, I don't know. And th this is by, like, Diablo Grande. I have no idea where that is. Really? No. <laughs> I have no idea where it's that's at. It's just, like, past Modesto. I don't... I don't think I've ever been there. Um. So, anyways, so the first the first people... The first car drove drove away. They got scared. But eventually, a couple, um, a couple stopped for Mary. As to who the couple was, it's crazy because, like, one source said that it was a guy named Todd Meadows. One says it was Dennis Bohr on a motorcycle. One says it was two women. And one says it was a couple on their honeymoon. Oh, my gosh. So it's just like, you guys need to get your shit together. Like, I'm glad someone stopped. I guess it's not important who. It sounds like it's just a bunch of different people taking credit. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> as soon as they were able to find a phone, they called the paramedics. Um, Mary had lost 
half of her blood and the other half had reached a toxic level. Meanwhile, I know. I, I just can't even imagine being in that condition. I can't imagine experiencing what she experienced and then I, I just... It, <sighs> at 15, you're so innocent at 15. Like, I was 15 when I, like, cut my leg shaving and I thought I was going to die. Like, I couldn't imagine having a limb cut off, let alone two. I know. And then... Like, that's horrific. And then having the strength to, like, climb out of a cave, basically, and go find help it's incredible yeah she's it's amazing to me that she one didn't fully pass out from the shock or two lose so much blood that she just died yeah like it's that's crazy yeah meanwhile singleton had allegedly driven over the bay bridge and disposed of mary's arms one after the other in the san francisco bay gross yeah from what it sounds like it sounds like he obviously left her there for dead. He thought he had killed her. Yeah. He didn't know that she would be able to survive that. And it sounds like he, the reason why he went for the hands and the reason why he disposed of them the way that he did is because he was hoping that they wouldn't be able to identify her with fingerprints. Well, thankfully she's alive and she has a mouth so she can talk for herself. Exactly. Mary underwent extensive surgery on both arms. They would have to amputate her arms even more to fit prosthetics. And they even had to take portions of her leg to salvage what they could to save her right arm. This would mean Mary would never be able to dance competitively again. Mm. I know. While recovering at the hospital, Mary was able to speak to detectives and recount the entire nightmare. Detective uh, Richard Brashears and Mac Reese from the Modesto Police Force interviewed Mary. Brashears put her under hypnosis where she would recount what Singleton looked like, his name, the fact that he was a merchant marine, what his car looked like, what his house looked like, and every horrific detail that took place. Wow. So when they put her under hypnosis, what they did, which I thought was actually really cool, um, is they had her recount everything from the third person. This way it wouldn't cause any more psychological damage for her, and she wouldn't have to necessarily relive it through her own eyes. So it, she was, she would say... Oh, Mary was waiting at this corner and Larry came up and he and she got in Larry's car. So and I thought that was kind of interesting. Kind of like an out of body experience that yeah. way. Like you said, it doesn't re-traumatize her. Yeah, and at least there's a degree of separation. It's not huge, but whatever you can however you can help this person. I kind of wish they used hypnosis more um in cases like this, because like a lot of times, the details that they can recall, because, I mean, you got to think about it. It's there somewhere. Mm-hmm. It is deep down somewhere. And if you were to sit there and just think about it, you're probably not going to get much out of that person. Right. But under hypnosis, like, they can uncover so much. Yeah. And I mean, I... But a lot of people don't believe in that stuff, though, so... Well, they say that the people that are more susceptible to it are those that are more intelligent. So, like, if you're smarter, like, maybe, I don't know... Well, I think it's also, like, the supernatural, where they say, like, the people that are more open to it and Mm -hmm. are welcoming of it are more likely to have a supernatural experience versus those who are closed off and closed-minded and don't believe in those sorts of things. Right. So I think it very much falls into that same category. Like, have you ever seen, like, a hypnosis show where they, like, hypnotize a bunch of people I've been hypnotized. 
Have you? Yeah. That's hilarious. It's funny because um, I was actually hypnotized at the Stanislaus County Fair, and Stanislaus is the county that this all took place in. So, um, but yeah, I I mean, I it was a weird experience because it felt like, like I I it wasn't like I was blacked out. I remember everything, but I was also like very motivated to like do what she was saying. Like there was. Um, like the person next to me, she was like, okay, this is your boyfriend. And he like cheated on you. And I just remember being so mad at him. And like, this was a stranger. <laughs> and then like, she put him to sleep and I like did his makeup and like, um, I don't know. It was, it was funny, but like, yeah, it, it was, it was a very strange experience. And I don't know that the hip, the hypnotist at the Stanislaus County Fair was really like as qualified as a detective working for the police department or as good at it. But, um, it was an interesting experience. There's definitely some that have more experience, like the ones that help people quit smoking, too. I've heard, like, great things about, so. Yeah, AJ's mom did that to quit smoking. And did it work for her? Mm-hmm. That's amazing. It's, it's, mo- it's like a placebo effect, like totally. acupuncture. Yeah. Like, for my husband, acupuncture didn't work. My nana wholeheartedly believes in it with all of her might and she's like convinced that it's saved like her back and everything my husband's like I didn't nothing happened like (laughs) there's no difference so it's definitely like if you the mind is stronger than we think yeah you just have to be I guess accepting of it yeah so it didn't take long for detectives to put together a composite sketch and start the manhunt for Larry Singleton Although the Modesto Bee had the exclusive on the story, all media outlets were covering it, and very quickly the story of the Mad Chopper was more highly publicized than that of the Hillside Strangler. What a stupid-ass name, the Mad Chopper. It's always so stupid, and this is one thing that I don't understand. It's like, it's always like the serial killer or the bad guy, in this case, Larry Singleton, they're sensationalizing it when they give it a name like that or the hillside strangler the mad chopper like for you and i when we're covering these cases we've already discussed that we're not going to do cases like ted bundy and um jeffrey dahmer because those cases really do sensationalize the bad person and that's not what we're here to do we're here to be a a victim advocate and i just don't like that the media does that they do it all the time. Like, there's another something coming out about freaking Jody Arias. It's like, we don't need it. Mm, yeah. We do not need it. She's a psychopath. She's where she needs to be. It's like, like that, that, I think that was part of the reason why I couldn't get through uh, Dahmer on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Like, what's his face? Um, Evan Peters. Yeah. Love him as an actor. He's yeah. a great actor. He did a great job. However... First of all, it broke my heart watching these actors reenact the victims. Things that actually happened to people. Yes, yeah. especially, um, what was his name, Tony, the, mm-hmm. deaf, the deaf one. Such a great actor, the guy that played yeah. him. And it just broke my heart, and it should. Like, it should break your heart, but it's like, we're sensationalizing it again. Right. It's like, we don't need another John Wayne Gacy documentary. We don't need another one on freaking Richard Martinez. Like, we don't need all these things. Yeah, and I think that Netflix is doing one on Gacy. Like, there was the very last scene, one of the last scenes in Dahmer was Gacy, 
And it was, Ugh. like, it, I, I think it was, like, a preface into, like, what's going to be John Wayne Gacy, which I don't know if I can, if I'll be able to watch that because it's just, I don't it's know. Like, it's really, really horrid. These things are, yes, they're entertaining. However, it shouldn't be entertaining in the fact that you're, like, oh, I want to hear more about this killer. Like, it should be educational. You know why they're entertaining, though, is because, like, with, um, with, with Dahmer, it was an excellent actor. Evan Peters, love him. Um, and it was with it was by Ryan Murphy, who does like American Horror Story and all of those other phenomenal shows. Yeah. So you have these really talented people that are extremely artistic, and they they're whatever they're gonna do, they're gonna do it really well. So yes, it was really well done, but does it make it ethical? Does it make it? okay I don't know that's where it's hard it just it makes it so like a lot of these cases like the bigger cases are just so ridiculous and so crazy they don't seem real Mm -hmm. and I think with a lot of like our generation we weren't really either alive during those trials or when those murderers were being caught or we were very young when those happened and so it's like, we just hear stories. So it's kind of like a fairy tale or a folklore where it's like you hear the story and like you watch all these documentaries and then you see these shows that come out and it's like, it doesn't feel real mm-hmm. because it's not currently happening where we are. Right. Had a documentary like this come out in the 70s or the 80s when all of this was happening, people probably would have been disgusted. I know. Because they would have been like, my neighbor was killed. Right. By that person or... The freaking what's-his-face, the one that just got caught a few years ago, um, the rapist, like, in Sacramento area, mm-hmm. and he was in Modesto. It's like, that's in our backyard, mm-hmm. like, or in my backyard, at least, you know? And so, it's like, I don't, that makes me uncomfortable. Like, the serial killer that was just recently in Stockton, I think they just caught him. It's like, okay, now I'm never going to Stockton again. Oh, like. I know. Like, I didn't want to go there anyway, no. <laughs> but, like, if there's a serial killer randomly shooting, like, stabbing people, I don't, I definitely don't want to go there. Definitely don't want to go there. No, I agree. Yeah, so it just, it sounds like the story of the Mad Chopper was kind of taking over the Hillside Strangler, which, again, another one that was sensationalized. Um, when Joanne Eversol saw the composite sketch of Larry Singleton, she recognized her, foreman, her former neighbor in called the Authority. So it sounds like she lived next to him in the Bay Area. I think they lived in Martinez, which I used to live there, so it's weird. Yeah, that was really weird. Yeah. Detectives quickly found Singleton's home in San Pablo, where they promptly received a search warrant. At his home, they would find Mary's cigarettes and remnants of burnt clothing that appeared to be hers. The most compelling piece of evidence they found was a lion's head button described by Mary Vincent in his fireplace. So she described this, like, little pendant or brooch that she had been wearing, and they found it. Right away in his fireplace. Wow. Singleton had already cleaned the carpet in his van. In his van, uh, just days prior to this, Singleton attempted to kill himself by overdosing on sleeping pills. So and guess what? He couldn't do it. <sighs> nope, he couldn't. He failed. Obviously, I mean that's a guilty conscience, which I didn't think someone like this would have a conscience. But I either that or he didn't want to get caught or he didn't want to go to jail or whatever. It all, it all plays into their narcissism where they're like, I'm so heartbroken and so disgusted with what I did. I'm going to try to kill myself. And they're never successful. Right. It's like, did you really try? Right. 
I don't think you did. Ten days after Mary survived his brutal attempt at taking her life, Singleton was arrested at his ex-wife Celia Johnson's house in Sparks, Nevada. One of Mary's hands was found by a fisherman and possibly positively identified. The other one was never seen again. A fish probably ate it. Yeah, it sounds like one of them was um, able to get, like, swept up in the current. The waves just, like, kind of took it over, and it was, like, next to, like, rocks. It's so scary, like, how many people have just been lost in water and never found again. It's like, what happened? Where did the body go? Where did the body parts go? Like, how in, is it Australia? That beach that all the shoes wash up on, Mm -hmm. and there's usually feet inside. Because there's, like, a popular suicide bridge near there where people jump off and that's all that gets found of them or like just the way the currents take you your feet when they come off like when they detach they stay in your shoe so that's why your foot gets found with your shoe and also i need to backtrack on what i said we're talking about somebody that tried to murder somebody obviously i don't want people to kill themselves. i know i was gonna i was trying to verbalize that and i i know what you mean and of course we do not want anyone committing suicide it is horrible and actually you know what like I it's one of those situations where it's like he should rot in jail but and and we'll get there I was more so just making the point that there's multiple serial killers and murderers out there who attempt and I put this in air quotes because I think it's a half-hearted attempt that they make to show remorse but I don't think they're actually remorseful and I want to say there is a big study done on this that it is their narcissism that Mm -hmm. won't allow them to kill themselves and I think that was something that he did where he was like oh look at me taking action for what I did by killing myself right he was not successful and I don't think that he actually tried I'm not sitting here like ah if you kill somebody you should all kill yourselves like no. Or if you tried to kill somebody, you should kill yourselves. No, no like, you I don't want that. I want. People. Right. And I don't want people taking the easy way out either. I want you to be held accountable. I'm just bringing it up as, like, a narcissism standpoint because a lot of these people that we cover on this channel are very narcissistic and only think about themselves. Yes. But I do agree with you about the narcissist thing. And that's why I think that um, it's a conspiracy theory or it, the whole. Epstein thing is a conspiracy because I think he is too narcissistic, but we'll save that for a different day. When detectives brought Stingleton in for questioning, he maintained his innocence. His story for the detectives is so fucking stupid, Caitlin. Like, I can't wait to hear it. <laughs> okay, so this guy's name is Larry Singleton, right? Yeah, what, what, is she, what did he say his actual name is? No, uh, so he says that he picked up Mary and she immediately threatened him with a stick. Like in the car, he, she's in his van and she, this 15-year-old threatens him with a stick. And she said she was going to poke him in the eye or poke him in the stomach if he didn't do, if she, he didn't do exactly what she said. In the eye or the stomach? Like, I'm sorry, the eye is way worse. You could have just said eye. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm going to poke you in the tummy. Like, okay. <laughs> and, and okay, and so in all fairness, like, she did say that, like, when he started driving the wrong way, she, like, grabbed a stick and she's like, what are you doing? But, again, she was 15. He was in Vietnam and in Korea. He fought in one of, like, the most bloody battles in Korea, and it's like you can't 
I mean, he was inebriated, but like you can't overpower this 15 year old or just be like, or pull over and be like, get out. So, yeah, he's a grown man. Exactly. So, according to Singleton. Wait, did you also say that when he was going the wrong way? So, it's like he was obviously going the wrong way, and that's why she threatened him. Yeah, because she was like, You said you would take me to California. And I think that she was feeling like, Oh my gosh, like, I, like, what am I going to do in Reno? Like, I don't. Yeah. So, and, but he ended up like turning around, and according to Singleton, she demanded him to drive to Los Angeles, and she also made him stop to pick up two additional hitchhikers. And the two additional hi- hitchhikers, according to Singleton, their names are Larry <laughs> and Pedro. <laughs> Vote for Pedro. <laughs> no, but like Larry, like he couldn't even make up another yeah. name besides his own name. But also, that doesn't make any sense because she was with two other people, then you told them that you didn't have room, and then all of a sudden you're going to go pick up Larry and Pedro. His story contradicts itself so many times. There was a book that I listened to, an audiobook, and I swear there were like five chapters just on like his alibi. Wow. And it, it took me so, like I basically am just summarizing it here, but... Um, essentially what he says is the four of them, they would stop at bars, they would drink, they would smoke dope. Um, they all three paid for sex from Mary. So a minor, they all paid for sex acts from her. Um, he continued to say this was all Mary's idea and she just wanted to be drunk and high the entire time she was smoking PCP, um, according to him. And that's why I, so when I'm referencing Larry Singleton, I'm going to say Singleton. When I'm referencing the made up Larry, I'm just going to say other Larry or Larry. Fake uh, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> Singleton said that at one point he passed out and he woke up to fake Larry driving the van towards San Francisco. How did fake Larry get behind the wheel of the car if real Larry passed out? I'm so confused. So, yeah. So, this... So, his alibi is just basically, like, they're all in this vehicle together, and it's crazy, and everyone is, like, smoking, but Singleton's not smoking because he doesn't do that, but he's drinking, and they're all drinking, and they're all paying for sex acts with her, and at one point, they pull over to a green truck to buy some drugs, and so they... They buy the drugs, and then he later references the truck again, and it's black. And so he's just completely... (laughs) An idiot. Yeah, he's just an idiot, and he is, um, like, he he obviously, he can't keep anything straight. Um, He says that at one point, he wakes up, and fake Larry is driving the van towards San Francisco. So it's fake Larry driving, Pedro is in the seat next to him, and then he's in the back, and... He wakes up and he sees Mary's clothes, but she's not there. When he asks fake Larry, what happened to Mary? Fake Larry said her hands were in the till and they sent her to Los Angeles. And that was the last he heard. Um, Singleton left the two hitchhikers in San Francisco. According to Singleton, that was that was it. That was his story. Um, Bye. Thanks for the hands. Like, the fuck? Yeah. So... The detectives, they kept asking him, okay, so why were you afraid of this 15-year-old girl holding a stick? Like, you were, you're a combat veteran. Um, so although they didn't get a confession in his interrogation, um, they obviously they went to court. Um, a plea of not guilty was entered into all counts. Because of the publicity in the case, a change of venue was granted to San Diego County. 
Dr. Joyce Sutton, supervising psychiatrist for the Department of Corrections, evaluated Singleton several times. She did not believe that he had been suffering from a psychological disease, but he just was suffering from alcoholism. On March 29th, 1979, the Superior Court of California found Larry guilty uh, found Larry Singleton guilty to one count of rape sodomy, one count of kidnapping, one count of mayhem, which mayhem is like for uh, disabling, disfiguring, or cutting off, um, so basically for the arms, one count of attempted murder, and two counts for forcible oral copulation. Mayhem sounds like way too fun of a charge. Shut they need up. to change it. Like they need to change it. I think that they did. I because okay because I'm like that sounds too fun. Like I went to jail for mayhem, <laughs> and then it reminds me of that insurance commercial, like mayhem like me. You know that oh, guy. Oh yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I totally get what you're saying. So I hope they change it. Not trying to make light of this. But no, it's just no, like, I know. Mayhem's too casual for what he. Yeah, did. it's. I think I'm not quite sure. Oh wait. Um... Aggravated assault, perhaps. I'm not sure. Either way, um, the final count... Oh, so one count attempted murder and two counts of forcible uh, oral copulation. Singleton was sentenced to 14 years and four months in prison. The maximum sentence allowed in the state of California at that time. It's tough because... He wasn't in his right mind. And, but, but at the same time, it's like, she would have died. Mm-hmm. Like, if she didn't fight for herself, like, she would have just died there. Mm-hmm. And then he probably never would have gotten caught. Also, one of the psychiatrists said that, you know, something that they tried to use as a defense was he was, he was blocked out. And the psychiatrist was like, if someone's blacked out, that doesn't, it does not change their character. So yeah, right. they might not remember what they're doing, but someone is just as likely to do something. They're not going to do something in a state of blackout that they wouldn't do in their normal, like sober mind. Right. And they always say too, that like when you're like a drunk person tells the truth or mm-hmm. whatever that, I don't know what the phrase is, but I'm like, yes and no. Like also they're just mean a lot of times too. Like they're just assholes yeah but it's just hard because it's like 14 years is nothing that's nothing he's gonna be 65 66 when he gets out right and so even the judge the uh the presiding judge over the court remarked if i had the power i would send him to prison for the rest of his life because it was obviously a very heinous crime that occurred um but the judge was literally i mean he gave him every like what he could and I just need to add, I Googled her when you were talking earlier. She's so cute. I like, know. As a 15-year-old, she's adorable. As an adult, she's a very beautiful woman. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm so glad she's still here. I am too. I'm very glad. As the trial ended, Singleton passed Mary in the courtroom, and he said to her, I'll finish this job if it takes me the rest of my life. What a dick. Yeah. Mary won a judgment of $2.56 million in a civil case against Singleton, but would be unable to collect because he had nothing to his name. Outraged by the short ten- sentence that he received, the Singleton 
bill was passed, which seizes the early release of criminals who use torture in their crime and allowed for a 25 to life sentence as well. Due to the nature of her injuries, Mary would face multiple challenges, both physical and emotional. She had trouble maintaining relationships. She wouldn't be able to dance anymore, and she found it nearly impossible to find a job. However, she would become a mother to two boys and eventually an accomplished artist. Although this helped cope with the pain, Mary was constantly reminded of the monster that was Larry Singleton. I hate him. I know. And he's ugly. Yeah, he's disgusting. All of his features are just in line with a chronic alcohol abuser and exactly how he is as a person. Um, so, like, the bulbous nose, like, the red, veiny, like, face, all of that. It's just so many, so many years of alcohol abuse. He just looks like a grumpy grandpa, like, one that you don't ever want to go visit. Right. And, like, by all means, I'm not saying if you look like him that you're ugly. I'm just, again, I think I've said this a million times by now. It's just that when you know the crimes that somebody is capable of and then you see the face to it, it's like, oh, yeah, you're hideous. Yeah. Like, Jodi Arias, for example, hate to bring her up again. She's an attractive woman. Mm -hmm. But she's an awful, vile, ugly woman because of what she did. Right. Like, you can never show me a picture of her and be like, oh, yeah, she's beautiful. No, she's ugly. Yeah. She's ugly. She might have attractive features, sure, but she's an ugly human inside and out. Totally. I agree. But obviously, if you look like her, you're not Jodi Arias, so, like, you're not ugly. Unless you do ugly things. No, I mean, we say this all the time. It's like, these people are ugly on the inside, and it's reflected on the outside. Yeah, it seeps through your pores. Yeah, <laughs> like, it really you're just does. a nasty, vile person. On April 25th, 1987, Singleton was paroled from California State Prison in San Luis Obispo after serving just half of his sentence. Um, so, real quick, so... Conflicting sources again here. Some of it say that he served in San Quentin. Some of them say men's colony in San Luis Obispo. Either way, it was a very short stint in prison. Eight years for what he did is not okay. I hope he served in San Quentin because that prison is gnarly. Well, uh, he will spend a little bit of time in San Quentin. Let me just... Let me just tell you that right now. Um, but we'll Did get there. Did you spend it with Manson? Because Manson was in San Quentin, too. <clears throat> Before he could even try to figure out what his next steps were, it seems all politicians wanted to ensure Singleton would not be entering in their county. Contra Costa County was one of the first to file a restraining order against Singleton, and they would go to court to ensure he would not be permitted to move there. They caught wind from the Department of Corrections that they wanted to house Singleton in Antioch, and they would absolutely not have it. The Department of I didn't know, sorry, I didn't know counties could file restraining orders. I don't know if they still can, but I think that they had the ability to do so because he would have been on parole for like a year. That's really interesting. Yeah, so he wouldn't be able to go to Antioch. The Department of Corrections then tried to place him in Stanislaus County in San Diego and both Stanislaus County and San Diego they did the same thing that Contra Costa County did they moved Singleton um or they went to they went to court to prevent him from moving there I was when I was reading this audiobook it was so obnoxious because I used to live in Contra Costa County and he called it like he called it the weirdest thing, like, like Cantra Costa. And I was like, what the fuck? It's Contra Costa. And then Stanislaus, he pronounced like Stanislaus. No, it's well, Stanislaus. I used to live there too, buddy. Like, come on. 
it's it's hard like because i know if we do like east coast states or like whatever i'm gonna butcher the hell out of them because they don't like they pronounce things differently I there know. and it's like louisville how it's like if you live there it's louisville yeah like you have a like a mouthful of marbles <laughs> but then like if you read it it's louisville louisville or louisville like yeah so it's I don't know. But, yeah, it's it's always hard hearing somewhere where you live. Like, I get it. Because it's just, like, it's not Cirrus. It's Ceres. Yeah. Like, that's a big one because, like, I'm pretty close to there. So, it's, like, every time I hear it, I'm, like, that's not right. Or Ripon. Oh. It's Ripon. Or Ripson. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That was just dumb. You just added an extra letter. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> do, you, do you remember? When that person we used to work with <laughs> was like, <laughs> the Manila. Came <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, okay. Same person, same person. The vanilla folders. Vanilla. Um, but remember when somebody came in and was like, "Oh, is Jorge here?" And they go, "You mean George?" Mm. And I was like, "Bitch, it's the same thing. Like, that's how he pronounces it, and he is correct." Yeah. Just because we call him George and he lets us call him that, that is not right. That was really, that was very cringe. It was so uncomfortable because yeah. I'm like, how are you just going to like blatantly say that to somebody that like is in front of you? Yeah. That's okay. I, right when I left that company, the employee that I had there was super racist and she would straight up tell people like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't understand you because of your accent. Ooh, and I had to tell her up. all the time, like, you cannot say that. You can say, can you please repeat that? I didn't hear you. But you can't be like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't understand you because your accent. Like, that's so fucked up. That is really messed up. Because, like, if you think about it, they're probably having a hard time understanding us, too. I know. Like, ugh, she was awful, and she still fucking works there. How? I don't know. She's a garbage bag. I can't stand her. Her breath always smelled like cigarettes, even though she Ew. didn't smoke. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, it was really weird. Anyway, sorry, <sighs> I'm done okay. shit-talking. So, About her. <laughs> For now. <laughs> so Stanislaus County, San Diego County, uh, San Francisco, they would not take him. Um, they tried to put him in Nevada, but Nevada said no. And Nevada didn't have to do shit because he wasn't, he wasn't like technically a resident at Nevada. He never changed like his stuff over. So um, Nevada like didn't have to do anything. They, he just couldn't go there. Oh, he just has to go into the ocean then. Seriously. They reached out to Singleton's daughter, and she actually had changed her name and filed a restraining order against her father. She had been hospitalized before in the past for him abusing her. Oh, wow. Um, And so they reached out to her, and she was basically like, you're seriously calling the person right now? Like, his daughter, the one that changed her name and filed a restraining order to get away from him, and you want me to take him? Yeah, no, thank you. So she said no. So um, eventually Contra Costa County had to lift the restraining order. I don't know how or why, but two correction officers went into an apartment complex disguised as husband and wife and rented an apartment for their elderly father. So talk about fucked up. Locals found out about this and were not happy. They mobbed and rioted at the apartment complex for forcing Larry Singleton to move again. The only place the Department of Corrections deemed safe for Larry was on the prison grounds of San Quentin. So for his parole, he had to live in a trailer on San Quentin, like where the correction officers and their families lived. Oh, that's fucked up. 
hey, honey, uh, here's this prisoner that likes to assault children. Right. He's just going to move right in next door to us. Yeah. Like, absolutely not. And also, too, this is before um, Megan's Law, right? Because I think that came out in, like, the 90s. I think that was the 90s, yes. And that's the thing, too. It's, like, there needs to be, like, something like Megan's Law, but something for, like, people that have committed these heinous crimes. Like, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, I mean, he would fall under Megan's law because he assaulted a right. man. But, I mean, at the same time, it's hard because I very much think that we should, and I hate to keep bringing this up, I'm a broken record, we don't re- rehabilitate people in our country. Like, no. we're really bad at that. We just expect these people who are going in for minor crimes, and not him, obviously, like, he's a piece of shit, but, like, children who are 18, 19 years old going in because they sold some ecstasy pills to some guy and they're going in for five years and then they come out with blasted and tattoos like and I love tattoos there's nothing wrong with them but it puts off a certain image and it's definitely not always a good image when they're above your neck or on your face Mm -hmm. or on your knuckles it's like if you can be in a profession that is okay with that then that's one thing but when you're coming out of prison and you're trying to find just a job Anywhere you interview is going to look at that and your record and be like, absolutely not. Right. And it's tough because, like, as a country, we don't do anything to help those people. We just put them in there and say, good luck, and then they probably get more time added on for getting into a fight or bad behavior or something. And it's just ridiculous. Like, our country sucks ass with stuff like that. It does. Not to mention that the tattoos that they got in prep prison was probably like a survival mechanism it was probably for them to like be a part of something so that they wouldn't get like beaten or you know right or like they joined a gang because they needed to like it's survival right it's not just oh I'm gonna sit here and I'm gonna get locked up for a little bit no you have other people who are gonna be in there much longer than you that do not give a shit about what they do in prison right and you're in there and you did one bad thing yeah. And you could you could be a good person at heart and you just made one mistake and now you're like your whole life's getting thrown away because you couldn't get re- rehabilitated. Yeah. Like it takes very strong people to come out of prison and make a good life for themselves. I agree. We should really interview my dad. We should. Let's do it. I don't know if he would let us though. <laughs> get him on the phone. Cuz he did serve time in San Quentin. Yeah. Uh when uh Charlie was there, so that would be a fun conversation to have. That would be a really cool conversation. Anyways, Singleton went back to Florida in 88. He lived with family members for a while, but the stress of the media became too much to bear. It seemed, it sounded like they, their, the family started being harassed. So because Singleton had like seven siblings, he would kind of, it's weird because it sounds like his family just kind of let him live with them which of that I don't know I mean I guess it's it's weird it's a family member I've never been in a situation where a family member did something that horrific but I would probably be like sorry that's I need to set a boundary I can't have you living with me there was people like shooting bb guns at the house like throwing oranges at the house which I know we're in Florida but <laughs> they're like we got truckloads of them <laughs> yeah not gonna miss these it's on our license plates um I just feel like, like, I've told Robert this, too. Like, if he ever committed a crime, I don't, I don't think I could forgive him. Yeah. Like, if it was that heinous, like. That's what I'm, that was a really heinous crime, too. Like, it's not even like it was self-defense or anything like that. It's like, if Robert came home one day and he was just like, 
yeah, I accidentally killed somebody because I got into a fight, I'd be like, okay, and we're calling the cops? Yeah. Like, I can't live with that on my conscience. No, and you don't want to be guilty by association either, so... Right, and it's like, even though I reported him, if I let him back into my life, people would be pissed. Like, I I don't know, it's hard, because it's like, obviously we're not in those situations, and hopefully we never have to be. Because right. he has family, but also, like, you can stop talking to family just because their blood doesn't mean they're family. Yeah, I agree. They So they found a place for him in uh, Gibsonton, 20 miles outside of Tampa, Gibsonton was home to Giants Camp, where Al and Jeannie, Tom and I resided along with Grady Stiles Jr. Do you know who that is? No, it sounds familiar. Okay, so speaking of Evan Peters and um, Ryan Murphy, Al and Jeannie. So Al was the, the tallest man at the time. He was eight feet tall. Jeannie was the half woman, so the woman whose body, like, cut off below her pelvis. And Grady Styles was Lobster Boy. Lobster Boy. Yes. Okay, I was like, Giants Camp, that sounds like a freak show for... I'm putting air quotes around that because I think that's a fucked up term, but... Yeah, it is. Okay, that's cool. So, well, not for him, no, but, like, well, for them. So the, basically, all of these circus members would live in Gibsonton, like, when they were during the off-season, and the book made it sound really bad because they were like, oh, all of these, like, quote-unquote, like, freaks, and then Singleton kind of came and lived in this, in the same area as them, but it's like, okay, these people had genetic deformities, and Singleton was just a really fucked up person. Yeah. So they're not, they're not like-minded company at all. No, and they're trying to make a living for themselves, and, like, they found a community, and this motherfucker's just like, hey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> one of you, but you're not. Um, yeah, you're and also, uh, Grady Styles killed someone, too, so. Oh. He killed, okay. um, I think he, he killed his, like, soon-to-be son-in-law, someone who was marrying one of his children. Um, I think that happened after this. Um, so that was just kind of, he even met, I guess he met Grady Stiles at a bar once. And so, um, the book kind of talked about that, but anyways, over the years, Singleton would continue to get in trouble with the law. And these are just petty crimes that he committed. So for instance, he stole a camera from a drugstore, like a disposable camera, a $10 disposable camera. He stole it from a drugstore and spent 45 days in jail. And then in 1991, he was sentenced to two years for shoplifting a $3 hat from Walmart. He was sentenced, um, he had another shoplifting charge. And it just sounds like, honestly, like he was trying to put himself in jail. I'm reading about... um, Grady Styles II? Yes, because I'm nosy and I just have to know these things. So, you are correct. He did kill his daughter's fiancé on the eve of their wedding. Um, This motherfucker went to trial... And he confessed to the murder and was convicted of third-degree murder but was not sent to prison because the state institution was um, not equipped to care for an inmate with his condition. What? He was sentenced to house arrest and 15 years probation. Mm, You're required to make reasonable accommodations. (laughs) (laughs) Don't make me go HR on your ass. (laughs) Uh, this was in 78, so, I mean, 
definitely, he was 41 at the time. He died in 92. That's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, isn't that nuts? I was trying to figure out what, because I know that there's like Grady Styles Sr. and then there's the Junior and then I think there's a third. So I was trying to put, like, I was trying to do a timeline of which one he met, but it must have been the second because that would make the most sense. Yeah, because that's definitely like the time frame. Um, let's see, Grady Styles the third. I love this little uh tangent we're going down right now. That was like a very interesting season of American Horror Story. In American Horror Story, Evan Peters, I think his name is like James something or Jamie or Sweet. I don't know something weird. It's not. It's not Grady Styles. That season bothered me because um, there was just a lot of things in it that it just like, because that's also the the season that we get introduced to um, the clown. What's his name? Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, Twisty. Mm-hmm. And like, I don't know. Like, part of me likes that season. The other part of me doesn't because I also don't like the way Evan Peters was portrayed in that season. Mm-hmm. I don't like his interactions with the ladies. Yeah, again, it was sensationalizing a criminal and even making him into a sex symbol. So Grady Styles the third is obviously the father or the son of Grady Styles Jr. Also has the same condition his dad mm-hmm. did. Um, and it looks like he just recently got married, or not recently, but maybe recently. I don't really know. I can't really. Yeah, I it. saw those pictures too. So I'm I'm thinking that it was the second that met Singleton. Junior was shot dead by a 17 year old sideshow performer, who was allegedly hired to do the hit by Styles's wife Maria, and her son from another marriage. Yeah, I read that. At the trial, his wife told the judge, my husband was going to kill my family. I believe that from the bottom of my heart. I'm sorry this happened, but my family is safe now. So she admitted to it. That's bananas. But yeah, he's like um, either married to or dating the bearded lady. I saw that. That's interesting. They look happy. Anyway, sorry. That's okay. Tangent over. (laughs) So, it's, so again, it sounds like Singleton was committing all of these crimes of petty theft. Maybe he was trying to get arrested. Maybe he felt like he needed to be in jail. I'm not quite sure. After one of his shorter stints in jail, Singleton tried to commit suicide again by running a hose from the tailpipe into the cab of his van. Deputies estimated he was in there for about 40 minutes before a neighbor dragged him out. Um, it is alleged that this happened like three different times when he, the neighbor took him out he went back in his van, tried it again, refused to like go to the doctor. Um, and then finally they had to like take him to the hospital. He left a suicide note saying, I hope that I find peace. I would like to thank everyone who helped me. Please have me cremated and have my ashes thrown into Palm River on the outgoing tide. According to the Elko Daily Free Press, David Sales was one of the was the neighbor that found him in his car and him and his son pulled him out of his van. When he heard the news of what happened to Roxanne Hayes, he regret he regretted saving Singleton's life by stating The first thing I thought was I should have left that man in there. So now we are back um, to Roxanne, who who we kind of started with today. Um, A little bit about her. First and foremost, she was a mother. 
She had three children, Clifton Tyson Jr., who was seven years old at the time, Malachi Tyson, who was three years old, and Akiana Hayes, who was 11. Roxanne was a doting mother who read to her kids at night, dressed up in costumes with them for Halloween, went to their school performances, and took them to birthday party at birthday parties at Chuck E. Cheese's. Roxanne lived with her longtime boyfriend, Clifford Tyson. Roxanne was a sex worker, and Clifford was well aware of her occupation. In fact, they met nine years earlier when Roxanne was living and working in the Straits. A few days after meeting, the two would move in together. Clifford said that Roxanne's lifestyle put a strain on their relationship, and every night she would say, I hate doing this, but they needed a meal or they needed to wash some clothes, so she would go out and do it. That's sad. It is really sad, and I, I'm going to get into this, and I just want to preface this by saying I am not trying to victim blame, and I am not trying to drag her name through the mud. Of course, in everything that we do, we want to, again, advocate for these people, but I do think that it is important to the story, and I know that, you know, there are some people that might disagree, and they might say, you know, sex work is not a dangerous industry, However, I mean, I live in a state where sex work is legal, right? Like we have places in Nevada that you can go and you can pay for sex. And that's, that's one way to do it. I mean, I guess if you're going to make it legal, I guess if you're going to do it, at least be safe about it. I don't know. Again, I don't want to talk ill of the dead, but. But no, it is, it is a dangerous profession. And especially in a state where it is illegal, because then your profession is breaking the law. And so it's going to attract more criminals, more people that perhaps their moral compass isn't as aligned as other people's. Like if, if they're going to pay for sex work, you know, they're probably going to be buying drugs. They're probably going to be doing other stuff too. Not always. It's not an absolute. Right. And it's, and it's not always like the act itself either. Like you can use as much protection, whatever as possible, However, you don't know who the client is going to be most of the time if you're doing this illegally. Also, you know, I hate to use the word pimp because I I don't think they're as common as they used to be. But still, like, a lot of times these sex workers report to somebody else and that becomes dangerous too. And Mm -hmm. I'm not just speaking of, like, oh, what you see on the movies. Like, some guy in a purple jacket with a cane. Like, it's not like that. It it doesn't even have to be a guy. Like, it's, I think... A lot of times now, at least, it's another woman. Right. And even back when brothels were a thing, like, in the Western days, like, it was usually a woman of the house who ran the house who would rent out the other woman, and she just managed all of it. We have brothels here in Nevada. We have a lot of them. So, anyways, it's Roxanne's fellow sex workers, but also they just, you know, they said this was just her job. It was just about the money. She was a homemaker at heart, and she would always just go straight home to her family. Sources indicate that she was estranged from her, her, like, her family, including her sisters and her brother, or her sister and her two brothers. According to Clifton, she was sexually abused by her grandfather starting at just two years old. Disgusting. Horrible. It was known throughout the family, even to her grandmother, but nobody did anything about it. Clifton stated one of the nights her grandfather was in the room with her, he died. So I don't know if, if that, again, this is all alleged. I don't, 
a lot of these stories, you know, we're not like watching interviews, we're reading newspaper clips. And so we know that nothing is absolute. We're just going with the sources that we have. Um, so I'm not sure if it was like if he passed away in front of her or if it was just like he was in there with her and then something else happened. I'm not sure. I don't have any further information than that. But that's still horrific. Most people won't have another person pass away in the same room as them, especially at that young of an age. Clifton also stated that her father was an abusive alcoholic and beat her until she was about 14 years old. Around that same time, her mother died and Roxanne left home for good. She was taken in by family and friends and managed to graduate from high school in 1984. High school did not seem to be easy for Roxanne, uh, both academically and socially. According to Clifton, she always used to complain that she had no friends. She would go to parties and no one would dance with her. She was probably fifty percent. She was probably like fifty percent of other high school students. She smoked weed. She skipped school, and I guess it went on from there. What Clifton is referring to is her criminal background. She had been arrested at least fifty times from nineteen eighty six for prostitution, grand theft, and possession of cocaine. The cycle of her being arrested, serving time, and being released lasted at least ten years. Roxanne was serving time in jail for a prostitution charge when she gave birth to her son Clifton. She delivered the baby and then they shackled her back to her bed in the maternity ward. A similar event transpired when Malachi was born. They needed to call her parole officer due to her being on house arrest before she could go to the hospital. Mary Jo Sicarello was a social worker with an organization called Tampa Bay Crossroads when they began an outreach program for a residential treatment program, sorry. This program would handle cases such as prostitution, petty theft, and drug drug charges. Roxanne was eventually sentenced to this rehabilitation program where she would meet Mary Jo. Mary Jo remembered Roxanne saying, Roxanne was bright. She was so witty. She was nice, or she was wise, but more than just street-wise. Roxanne didn't really have any intention of quitting, but that didn't make her a bad person. Mary Jo did say that she believed that Clifton was kind of enabling Roxanne's bad behavior. Um, He was unemployed due to being injured in 1996, and he relied on her for finances. So he would kind of just, like, drop her off at at the street corner every night, which is really sad. He, like Roxanne, had a colored past. He had been released from prison after serving half of a four and a half year sentence for robbery, burglary, and grand theft. Mary Jo often attempted to divert Roxanne from her lifestyle and even offered to put her up in a motel. That would never last though and eventually Roxanne would return to her haunt at Hillsborough Avenue and 50th Street where she met Larry Singleton. The afternoon of Roxanne's death was the last time Clifton saw her. She went out for groceries, and she, when she didn't return at 9 p.m., he started looking for her, and um, it wasn't until the next morning that he saw on the news there was an unidentified woman found dead inside an Orient Park home. Clifton went to the sheriff's office where his worst fears were confirmed. Roxanne was dead. 100 people attended Roxanne's funeral, including fellow sex workers, um, her customers, and even a bag boy from the grocery store where she shopped. Wow. I know. It's really, really sad. Her children were left without their mother, without a source of income. Not only was Akiana, she was 11 years old at the time, she 
um, had been stripped of her only female figure, but in addition, a lot of the individuals were uh, disparaging her mother. So on the news and in the papers and stuff, like there was a lot of things right. speaking poorly of her because what she chose to do as an occupation and her difficult past. I just, I don't know how people work in the media and can just release stories of people that are dead and like were murdered and yeah. they're just like, oh, she was a piece of shit because she did these things to, to care for her family. It's like, no, yeah, you didn't know her as a person. Right. You didn't know why, why she was doing those things. Like, why do we need to talk negatively about her? Like, yes, her job was dangerous. Mm-hmm. Bring more light to that. Make it safer. Or like, and that's the thing too, is like, unfortunately, that type of work There isn't a whole lot you can do to make it safer, even if it's legal. Mm -hmm. Like, you're still going to get people, like, especially, I'm not trying to talk shit on men, but when all their blood is rushing down to that certain organ, they kind of lose all their brain cells. Right. And, like, so if the adrenaline's going, or especially if they can't get the blood flowing down there, like, they get hostile, and it's like, you can't always protect people you can try and you can try to make things safer but unfortunately it is a very dangerous profession to have yeah so we don't need to bring it up in the social in the media I almost said social media that was definitely not a thing in the 90s um we don't need to bring it up in the media as a negative connotation against her like and what you can always do is use it as a learning experience so bring mary joe into it and say like this this is someone that was trying to help her and this is some person that had a close relationship with her because they crossed paths so many times and mary joe said that she was wise like she was talking about some of the jokes that she made like for instance mary joe got her like an elf or something that said like ho 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 for christmas and roxanne was like oh are you calling me a ho and it was like you know what i mean use like there's other aspects of people besides what they choose to do for work right like today for example i had a resident come in pissed off because he has a leak in his roof and he's just like I don't understand how you can work for such a crooked company and da 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 like just going off on me and I'm like, okay, but I'm not the one doing it to you, right? I I didn't go over there and put a, a hole in your roof. Like I'm not the one doing it. It's like take a step back and realize like there's a bigger picture going on here. Like I can't just wave a magic wand and everything's better. Like I don't know. Like it's just <sighs> yeah. The media likes to do this, and I don't know why I went off on that tangent. Sorry. No, it's okay. I was going to say something, and then I completely forgot it. Um, But it's like, Mary Jo was trying to help, and Roxanne was just trying to feed her family. And then the media gets involved, and it's like, ah, she's, she's this awful person. So it's just... No, and I don't think she was a bad person at all. It sounds like she was a really great, remarkable person, and... It is sad, and it's, you know, her her children were dragged through this, too, so anytime that they saw a news article, they weren't remembering this person that had a sense of humor, this person that went to their kids' recitals, this person that took their kids to Chuck E. Cheese and that read to them at bedtime. No, you're only talking about one aspect 
like not even an aspect of this person because your career doesn't define you your job doesn't define you just like what she is happens to be doing right now like she she doesn't have a whole lot of resources like it sounds like from a very young age she had she was fending for herself so right she most likely did not choose this path the path probably chose her because for her this was her only resource she was not provided resources to tell her this wasn't a good option for her. And when you told me that she graduated high school, that's amazing. Right. Because most people in her predicament would have just given up. And she wasn't, it's not like she was with her parents that are like, like making her go to school every day. Like she was living with different right. people. She was still going and it wasn't like, it doesn't sound like it was very easy either. Right. But we don't focus on that. No. Like the media doesn't anyway. Right. Akiana responded to this, to these uh, reports and, sorry, these news articles by saying, I don't think my mom should have died and I don't understand why. She was a good mom to me and my two brothers and a good wife to my father. I wrote this to notify the public that my mom was not as bad as the newscast described her. She did what she could for us kids. Although the jury that was selected for Roxanne for the Roxanne Hayes case did not have prior knowledge to the violent acts that Singleton carried out against Mary Vincent, she would fly in to testify in hopes that Singleton would be locked up for good this time. Because, of course, when they're selecting the jury, they can't have any preconceived notion of who this... They have to be completely unbiased, right? Um, right. But she would still go and tell her story. Singleton claimed that after dinner and a sex act, Roxanne grabbed his wallet and got upset when he twisted her arm to get it back. He said she grabbed a kitchen knife and swung it at him. Singleton claimed that the two struggled with the knife, yanking it back and forth, and that's how she was accidentally stabbed seven times in the face, the chest, and the abdomen. The seven-inch deep cut that went straight through her liver and to her spine was because he fell on top of her. I thought he was just cutting vegetables with the condom on. Mm-hmm. Yep. What a dumbass. I hate this guy. Singleton's attorneys did not deny that he killed Roxanne Hayes, but they claimed it to be a spontaneous eruption of emotion rather than premeditated first-degree murder, which was the only charge that would merit that would merit a death sentence. His attorneys claimed that Roxanne was upset because the price of cocaine went up and she needed to make more money, which is when she grabbed his wallet. Defense attorney Jill Menender argued that Singleton had consumed too much alcohol and drugs that day to be capable of premeditated intent to kill Roxanne, and he and was guilty of only manslaughter. Menender argued Larry Singleton did not have an ounce of ill will, hatred, or spite toward Roxanne Hayes. Prosecutor Jay Pruner argued, if you believe Lauren Singleton's testimony, the only crime he committed was assisting suicide. What the evidence shows you is that Mr. Singleton plunged that knife in seven times intentionally. So again, Singleton is continues to mess up his testimony and his story, and he says that he didn't even notice that she was hurt or bleeding. Um, she never cried out. And, like, even as she was being hurt, she never cried out. And he even told the jury that afterwards she was crying and she was, like, asking Singleton. She was like, just hold me. Like, I just want to be held. And then he did. And, like, he was saying that he was comforting her in her last moments. But I stabbed her seven times. Yeah. 
On April 14th, 1998, Singleton was sentenced to die after a Tampa jury convicts him of first-degree murder in Roxanne's death. Mary Vincent said of the death sentence, I don't want to play God and I don't want anyone's death on my hands, but I think there's a little bit of relief. I think I can start all over and put everything behind me and hopefully be safe and happy. On December 28, 2001, Singleton was serving his sentence and awaiting his death when he died at the age of 74 years old from cancer. A day before my eighth birthday. <laughs> it was like an early birthday present I didn't even know I wanted. Exactly. Seriously. Except it's, I wish that he would have been, I don't know, executed. It, it almost just doesn't sound like justice was ever served. It's it's hard because, like, you know how I kind of feel about the death sentence in a way. And so I wish he would have served more time. I don't know. I mean, he was sentenced in 1998 and then he died in 2001. So it's like, had he been on death row, we know how death row goes. Like, he should have been sitting there for, like, he would have been sitting there for a lot longer. And yeah, he, he'd be there for a He while. should have suffered more, I, I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I mean... Yes and no. I feel like I feel like God was just like, eh, we're just going to take you out a little bit sooner. I know, because then the flip side of that coin is like, I mean, not that it makes that much of a difference, but it's like that's just taxpayers' money that keeps feeding him and paying for his medical bills and all that stuff, so. Yeah. Um, many believe that Mary and Roxanne were not Larry Singleton's only victims. It is speculated that he could be responsible for as many as a dozen murders. I could see that because, like, it seems really strange to escalate from, well, to cutting off somebody's hands. And then I know he went to prison for, like, seven Mm -hmm. years, which isn't that long. And then getting out and then waiting a few more years and then killing somebody. Like, I'm I'm sure he targeted sex workers or hitchhikers, just like he targeted Roxanne and he targeted, um... Oh, I forgot her name. Mary. I feel bad. Mary. I I was, like, going to say Mary Jo, but I was like, no, that was the other lady. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, if you have the the assumption that a a hitchhiker is kind of, like, um, a nomad and they're just kind of, like, bouncing around from place to place and they don't have a concrete home, then, yeah, like, that would be someone that he would target because he doesn't think that this person has anyone that misses them. And he, he had... He probably assumed that from Roxanne, too. He probably think that he probably was under the assumption that she didn't have a family to go home to. Right. Most people probably do assume that. I feel like it was more so victims of opportunity, definitely. Like, these two were definitely victims of opportunity, and there probably are more out there. Mm-hmm. I mean, he traveled all the way from California to Florida. Right. Like, there were many other serial killers that were active at that time, and... There's so many that were never solved, like murders, Mm -hmm. and so it wouldn't surprise me if if some of them were his. Yeah. Mary Vincent keeps a very low profile these days. I believe that she has changed her name, um, but she is a victim's advocate. She doesn't talk much about the incident, um, but again, she is an artist. From what I could tell, Akiana and Clifton seem to be doing really well. Clifton Jr., her brother. Um, I found social media pages for them, and they had pictures of their mother on it, so it sounds like, you know, they're still keeping her 
in their memories. I couldn't find anything for Malachi, but it seems like they grew up to be all great individuals. So that is encouraging. And I think it's very sweet that they're still keeping her close. Yeah, that is really sweet. I'm glad that they they still would get to remember her and the good times that they did have with her. Yes, and I know that this was a really long episode. I thought about doing it in two parts, but I figured we could we could make it through today, and I know that we had a couple tangents in there, so. It's so gruesome what he did to Mary. Like, it is so, chopping somebody's yeah, hands off. I think the part, so, because she keeps a low profile, it was difficult to find concrete information for this case because again everything was newspaper articles or um there was a couple interviews that she did but they were very um it, it was hard to find them because it was in the 70s so it's not like you can just go like look on the archives of youtube the part that really got to me was when she she was saying she was like i was holding on to his forearm and i was just i was holding on i could feel myself gripping it so tight but at the same time i was falling back and it's like not ghost pain. I don't know what the term is for it, but like she, like you know, if you if you are amputated, like you can get ghost the phantom limb. The fa- yeah, exactly, a phantom limb, and so it was just so crazy. And I'm sure so much blood was rushing to her hands to grip onto him. Yeah, that like, and the adrenaline's so high. Like it's probably a good thing that it happened in such like an intense moment mm-hmm. because I feel like if it didn't, she probably would have gone into shock. Yeah. Like, but she was, like, her adrenaline was pumping. Like, she was, like, fight or flight, and she was going to fight. Yeah. So. And the fact that she had the wherewithal to, like, stick her hands in, or her nubs, I guess. Sorry, that sounds really mean, but, I mean. No, that's what, that's what they called it. I mean, it, that, it is what it is. Like, she, like, and she even called it, she's like, I just, like, suck my nubs in mud. And, I mean, she, um, like, I don't know, I think. It must have just been, like, her her instincts must have just kicked in, and I don't know, but yeah. it's, that's why I wanted to do this story, because, yes, it is, you know, they're, it's an incredible survival story, and I just can't imagine having to go through that. I don't even know what else to say. I'm almost at a loss for words. No, I mean, I've, I've been in situations where I'm like, am I going to live through this? But nothing major, like happened so I couldn't imagine something so severe as losing not just one arm but two Mm -hmm. and surviving and being a bad bitch and getting yourself out of there like that's amazing yeah and then poor Roxanne like that breaks my heart because she's just trying to make money yeah it makes me so sad because like he's just a piece of shit and he's just like oh like, she was going after my money so she could do cocaine. Was was there ever cocaine found in her system? Yes, there was. Um, They were not sure. It could have been f- from that day, but it could have been from a few days ago, too. And she was a, a user. And, you know, she oh, okay. did. Um, Again, it's... Th- th- that didn't define her, though. And Right. So I, I don't believe that that's, that's how that went down. Um, also for him to make a comment when the police get there, like, oh, I was framed before and blah, blah, blah. And I was chopping vegetables. Like, no, I don't think so. I feel like this was definitely like heat of the moment and you literally have a condom on your dick. Like, and that was the reason why I mentioned that in the beginning of the story is because like one of her fellow sex workers says like, she always made people wear like protection. So it kind of 
corroborates that aspect of right her, yeah of the story I guess well thank you for that I I don't know if I've ever heard that one and if I had it's been a really long time like parts of it sounded vaguely familiar but to be honest I don't think I don't think I've heard that one oh. Well, um, look at you giving me something I didn't know. <laughs> well, hopefully I did it justice. It is hard to do cases like this justice. Um, you know, we've said it several times before, you know, we're we're just, you know, bringing these cases to you guys the best way that we can. So hopefully it was done okay. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's all I got. Well, thank you all for listening. Um we just want to say, you know, don't forget to write us a five-star review if you've been enjoying this podcast. Um, and you can find us on Instagram at SentencePod, Patreon at patreon.com forward slash SentencePod. Facebook is SentencePod. It's SentencePod everywhere. Just look us up on SentencePod. Thanks for listening and thanks for bearing bearing with us for this like really super long episode next time i'll do two parters if i have more than 19 pages of notes <laughs> okay <laughs> Alrighty, guys we will see you in the next episode thanks for listening bye